This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to decide how much of yourself you should bring to work. So a little bit of a mouthful, how to decide how much of yourself you should bring to work. And we've covered so many times on personal brand, on the podcast, blog posts, we have worksheets, and that topic does very closely align to this one. But here, we want to focus on the nuances associated with which parts of you to bring to work and how the decisions you make can help you get the results you're looking for, but also feel good about the process to getting there. And just a caveat to be very clear, we are not suggesting that you hide yourself or bring a fake version of yourself to work. But what we will discuss is how you can, again, feel good about who you're bringing to work while still being successful in your job and feeling fulfilled. Right. We know there's a common desire out there to bring more of ourselves to work. We hear this all the time and people ask us all the time, how how can I bring more of myself to work? And if we can't do that, Sometimes we feel like we have these split personalities, like we're somebody different at home than we are at work. And there's a desire to want to fuse this. Mm -hmm. But really what we're going to talk about and what we would slightly argue here is that you don't necessarily want to fuse this, but you want to consider how people are going to act towards you in these different situations so you can behave appropriately, but still inherently somebody that is you. Yes, exactly. And before we jump in, we will say to the point of the personal brand, if you haven't worked on yours in a while or at all, we suggest starting there. But we're going to assume that you have and we're going to get into how to decide how much of yourself you should bring to work. Number one, assess your situation. And we use this a lot in a lot of the episodes as a starting point, but it really is a good one because it gives you time and permission to take a step back and assess your current situation. So we talked about, you know, working through your personal brand and with intention, doing that first. We have those materials. But once you've done that, really take a hard look at where you are today, what's working for you, what's not working for you, what you want to achieve that's been out of reach, how you feel on your best days, what happens on your worst days. Think through all of this and be very honest with what role you are playing in your day-to-day and what you might be missing out on as a result. So this is kind of your timeout situation. Things might even be going pretty well for you. We're not necessarily saying Mm -hmm. that this is like a, oh my gosh, the world is crashing down around me at work or I feel really pulled in different directions. It might be just fine and chugging along, but there are always ways that we can be more intentional about what we're doing. And that's what we're suggesting with this episode overall and with this point in specific. So here are some of the things that we hear that helped us think about, okay, what should you do as a whole when you're trying to think through how much of yourself should show up at work and again, being intentional? One might be, I have trouble getting my point of view heard in meetings. So maybe the suggestion is you need to listen first and talk second. Or I'm not getting the promotion I want no matter how many times I ask for it. Okay. Are you effectively doing your current role and leaning into the next versus focusing all your time on asking your manager for that next promotion? And one of my favorites, I just don't feel like I fit into the culture where I work. Is it them? Is it you? Can you find ways to work within it versus resisting the culture? Or what do you need to change about yourself in order to get there? And again, this really should help you lay the groundwork or the foundation for what you go and do then next as a result of the assessment. So jotting down two to three things that are either holding you back, that you want to achieve next, or that feel just inconsistent, inconsistent maybe with, well, I feel this way at work and this way at home, or I feel in conflict about these types of things, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, big, small, or otherwise, and then committing to working on them. Yeah, I think this is a really good one. And the assessment is sometimes really hard because you have to be very vulnerable in uh-huh. the fact of, you know, it could be you <laughs> as much as it could be them. And you really need to figure out where those two are independent and where those two collide. So, 
for example, um, you know, a lot of times we like we wish that we could be a little bit more open mm -hmm. at work. That's a lot of times what we hear from our clients is like, I just wish I could be more open. Right. Well, what is it that's holding you back from being more open? Mm -hmm. Is it a fear of what people are going to say about you? Is it a fear of being wrong? Is it a fear of that people are going to judge you? Like, what is it about that that is holding you back from being able to be more open, as an example? Another one is like I got a lot was that I'm too direct. Mm -hmm. Well, direct is a behavior based on a personal brand characteristic that I'm just an overall like authentic person. I kind of see it as I see it and I kind of say it as I see it. Now, when I go to work and I'm in certain situations, if I want somebody to be receptive to my feedback or my point of view, I can't be as direct as I want to be, mm -hmm. right? And so I still need to bring that authenticity to work, but I need to find another way for that behavior of that directness that people are reacting to to show up differently so that people are going to be more receptive to what I have to say. Same thing at home. I can be very direct at April with April at work, but I can't go home and be direct with my kids mm -hmm. in the same exact way. They're not going to listen. They're not going to respond. They're going to get upset. So think about what is that personal brand characteristic that may be like propagating the behavior or action. Because if you're feeling like you can't be something or do something, it's probably in the behavior or action that is having some sort of impact or some sort of response that you're feeling is you, but it's not you. It, you need to trace it back to the characteristic. Yes. And I actually came to a realization on one, you know, Anne was really pushing me for examples with this episode, again, to the point of being direct and rightly so. Mm -hmm. And one of the ones that just was so funny came to mind as I had to go to the dentist today before we came into studio to record this. And I used to walk to work and also walk to the dentist. So I was sort of thinking about my my previous role at my last agency. And I realized that what was really bad for me about agency life was how much it was tied to hours mm. and that something as simple as having to go to the dentist during the day, even though that was scheduled for an hour and there would still be like 10 to 15 minutes on either end. And I would get myself all worked up about the fact that I was going to miss an additional 20 minutes of the workday. And honestly, the last agency I was at was the most flexible of all of them. And so it was just one of those things where I was kind of chuckling to myself because I realized to the point of what you just said, Anne, in you know some of the points we made previously is that certain things can be about you. And I really did struggle, mm -hmm. especially once I became a parent, with amount of hours I had in the day to spend with Sam, to spend with friends and family, to get all my work done, to work out. And it was like this constant puzzle of hours that left me just in a state of constant stress. And it just occurred to me that like no one really cared that deeply about it but me. But I was mm -hmm. in an environment where you were billed based on hours and you perform based on hours and all of that. And so that led me to this like OCD tendency in my personality to hyper focus on hours, where now I've completely lost that because it's not part of our company culture. We don't bill by the hours anymore. But also I've realized like that was just like a craziness that was in me. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yep. All right. Number two. Note the culture and act in accordance. And there are no two ways about it. So while you want to bring yourself to work, you are agreeing to work for someone else, right? Unless it's your own company. But even that, you know, me and April have to compromise on how much of ourselves that we're bringing to work because mm -hmm. we have to work together, right? So you have to really acknowledge, you have to respect that there are company cultures and expectations. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be yourself. And you're going to hear us say this a lot, is that there's still a desire for you to bring yourself and who you are to work. But you have to also acknowledge the fact that you can't be a victim in these circumstances. So a lot of times what we'll hear is, well, that's just not me. Mm -hmm. I, I just can't do that. Right. And if there's certain things that are really contrary to your personal being and really violating your personal brand and you really need to think about that and you really need to consider whether or not this is the right place for you. But if it's just like something's just not hitting right, then you really need to think about well, why is that? Is this because it's new to me? Is it because it's different? Is it because I just don't, I, I, I don't haven't felt like this before or like these people are different? Like maybe there's something else that's kind of triggering your reaction to, to this that 
is maybe uncomfortable to begin with, but maybe after you got used to it, you might find it, it actually fits. So you may want to give yourself a little bit of time in order just to kind of see and we talk about trying it on all the time or testing mm-hmm. and learning. You can use whatever metaphor works for you, but just kind of see, well, what is this new experience? What is this new culture? Might be something that I actually enjoyed that I didn't really realize that I did enjoy, right? But if it's not, then you really need to think about then then how you want to get out and then how you need to think about the next time that you go into these cultures and making sure you're better judge of the kind of culture that is going to work for you. But don't assume that when you get into these cultures and all of a sudden something kind of like strikes you from like out of the blue and you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I feel uncomfortable, that you can just automatically go ahead and change it, right? So you have to go in with the understanding, if you're going to give this a shot, that this is the culture, you have to believe in it, you have to embrace it, and you have to try to find a place for yourself within it. Now, after a while, you might find that, hey... I might be able to impact the culture a little bit. I might be able to figure out ways of bringing more of myself into this culture. Um, as an example, um, our when I was in PNG, like a big part of our culture was a lot of happy hours. Mm-hmm. We went to happy. That was our way of celebrating and getting together, decompressing, and decompressing. And then, but what we found out was like, well, some of the people didn't go to happy hours because they don't really like to drink, mm-hmm. right? So they would then suggest other things for us to go do to kind of decompress and 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 have some. Um, some team time. And so they were able to bring that in and they were able to share some of their personal passions. And we went along with that as well. And that became part of our culture. But if you come in like a bull in the China shop and, (laughs) you know, you're trying to change culture from day one, they might not respond very, very well to that. So you need to really consider that. Yeah. And I think your point about getting better at assessing cultures as you go to join organizations can really help you bring the right balance of yourself to work for you. And I'll give you another specific example that just kind of started to hit me over the head after being with so many agencies that were owned by other agencies was that I literally would lose my mind when something would take too long or a promotion couldn't go Mm -hmm. through or we took on a client that we shouldn't have, like basically it boiled down to the decisions were beyond my control. And that was fine because I wasn't leading the organization and I wasn't in a super senior role at that point in time. But as I progressed in my career and I kept hitting my head (laughs) up against the ceiling (laughs) of these types of things, I realized that that was something that was a hot button for me that culturally I just could not get on board with. And there was no way to change that in those organizations. So when I made the decision to go to my final agency, the, the criteria for me was that it absolutely must be independent. I just Mm -hmm. was totally worn out. And I knew that part of not being able to be my whole self, or that was kind of the comment I was making, is I was feeling so much stress and anxiety about how many times those were the answers that that was trickling into my personal life. And so Mm -hmm. then the guilt was happening on that side, too. And so when I would say I felt like I wasn't able to bring myself to work, it was because something that I just fundamentally disagreed with was a cultural element of the organization that was a mandate. Like there was no changing the fact that we were owned by who we were owned. And I wasn't going to be able to fix that, even if I took that on as my main crusade for however many years I worked within each of these organizations. And so that was one where I had to make the decision that there was nothing I or anyone that I reported to or was around or whatever could affect or change. And therefore, I had to change my criteria when I went to look for the next job. I think that's a really insightful example. And I think it actually parlays very nicely into kind of the uh, the journey of a lot of us and me specifically as we progress through our career. Because yeah. sometimes when we progress through our career, it's not necessarily for um, the purposes of getting to the next level, but yeah. it's in a pur- it's for the purpose of finding a better culture that fits. Absolutely. Right. And for me, I mean, I that was my journey. I started off in engineering and I started off in a very um, small part of engineering in, in within um, P&G. And then I went to a broader R&D organization and I saw, well, I just didn't want to do packaging. I wanted to be part of the culture that was actually helping to define what the consumer was going to think about these things. So I went into the consumer side. And then I was like, I want to be closer to the business. I want to be part of that culture, Mm -hmm. the setting strategy. So Mm -hmm. I moved over to that part. And I didn't, if somebody would have said, as I started as an engineer, that I was going to end in communications, I'm like, 
you got to be kidding. Like, there's no <laughs> way that that's going to happen. And so that was not my end goal was to be in communications. It ended up being the place, though, that I felt I could actually exhibit the most of myself within mm-hmm. my work and my role. So sometimes it's not as obvious. And I yeah. and because a lot of people are like, when I get to the next level, uh-huh. I'll feel better like about being able to bring myself. I'll have more of a say. I'll have um, I'll be able to set more direction. I'll have more people reporting into me. So I'll get to coach and mentor more. Not necessarily the nope. case. So it's really about finding the places that you feel like you can really exhibit the most amount of your your passions, your skills, what makes you feel fulfilled not necessarily the defined level or the defined uh, function Mm -hmm. that you think is going to be that. You just never know. Well, it's taking responsibility for yourself and your reality. Right. I mean, I think that's essentially what we're talking about here. And so I think bringing yourself to work, sometimes people can use that as a cop-out, right? Like, well, I'm not, I can't bring myself to work, so therefore I'm going to not invest as much time or, you know, oh, I'm not going to meet people. I'm not going to yeah. talk to people. I'm not going to participate in any of the company activities. Yeah. And, you know, yes. 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 Whereas it should be more like, no, I'm going to use myself to manage what I want. And I'm going to be participate as in the steering team that's going to design these so I yep. can have a say in how I want these yep. to go and, you know, and have a voice in those. Yes, yep. absolutely. Exactly. All right. Number three, request feedback and use it. Again, you might think you're doing just fine and maybe you absolutely are. But at every job and every work situation, there are challenges that come up. And there are times where we feel like I was saying before, like you're beating your head against the wall, right? And so we never encourage, and you hear us talk about all the time on the show, whether we're talking about our clients and getting a holistic view of their business or ourselves and what we're working on, getting input from others. This is another situation where you want to go ahead and do that because feedback can be a great way to enlighten yourself or see things from a different Mm -hmm. point of view. Or even if you disagree with what somebody says, give some thought to something that you wouldn't have thought yourself. And so I will say there are a few caveats here. So only seek advice from people you respect and believe will give it to you straight, but also have your back. That can be Mm -hmm. a very tenuous balance. Um, So you want people that are actually in your corner versus just not necessarily out to get you, but are always the naysayers or those types of things. Um, ask for feedback only if you are ready to hear it and then do something about it. If you're going to ask people for their time, you need to show that you're respectful of their time. Otherwise, don't waste it. Wait until you're ready to ask them. Don't embrace unsolicited feedback if you would not go to that person for advice. So back to the point mm-hmm. of only going to people that you respect, this is the opposite of that, where someone gives you feedback and they're never anyone that you would go to anyway, but for some reason you can't shake that feedback and it starts to really sit within you. Find ways to get out of that pattern and reorient your thinking of, why am I worried about this? That person doesn't mean anything to me from a business relationship, trust, respect perspective, and let it go. And also to solicit feedback from outside your company. So we talk a lot about coaching and mentoring, and you know that's a big part of our business. And it's because we believe so passionately that even if you have someone in your organization that absolutely has your back, they also have to protect themselves first. And so their view, while they may think they're giving you the best advice, it might also just be tainted by the requirements of their job or the department they're in and what they're hearing and seeing or another conversation they had that day. So having outside people to go to that understand you and your career and your goals and objectives and how you want to show up and how much of yourself to bring to work, you need that support from outside as well. And again, like I said, if you're going to request it, be ready to use it. So after you've done that assessment of yourself and you've, you know, you've thought through the culture, which is not really an order, but something you should always be doing, this is kind of the other side of the assessment, which is go and talk to other people in the organization. And I think, you know, from an example perspective, there was a point in my career where because I was moving up so fast and I was such a hard worker and I was willing to work a lot of hours and put in the time and whatever, I was seen as a rising star. And so in a lot of ways, I never actually got any feedback because 
I was a little bit untouchable from that perspective. Mm -hmm. People were like, I don't want to kill her spirit. Or it was like, you know, go to April, she'll get it done. Or it was like, holy crap, she's achieving all of this stuff. You know, we're really excited about her. She's a young up and comer, all of that kind of stuff. Right. And so on the other side of that, I stopped getting feedback. But one of the pieces of feedback that came to me was from a very unlikely source and actually someone that (laughs) I'm kind of going against what I said. I didn't necessarily respect from the way that they did work perspective. Not that they weren't respectable or whatever. We just had very different styles. But I was in the midst of working a million hours, waking up on all time zones. We were doing emergent mm-hmm. acquisition. I was killing myself. I was working weekends. I was barely sleeping. And on a Saturday, I talked to this person and they were like, you know what my advice to you in this situation is? Stop it. Stop it right now. Go see a movie, take the rest of the day off, Mm. have a couple glasses of wine. And I didn't do it. (laughs) But I will say that knowing that person, I still look back on that moment and I'm like, I should have just listened. Because the outcome of that day was we were literally printing, I think, a book of every employee in the organization, which in agency life, you can't (laughs) that that list changes on like an hourly basis. basis, Right. Somebody quits, somebody new comes in, whatever. And so there was one name missing and I was trying to like contact the printer and contact the person that designed the book and whatever. And I was like, number one, this was a stupid idea. That should have been the answer. This was a dumb idea. You should have just fired him and been done with it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Dumb idea. I'm like, where's my name? Uh Oh, yeah, exactly. And so it was just like something that like really didn't matter. But I was so far in that, again, I was losing sight of that. And I should have taken that advice from that person. Well, I think you bring up a good point about motive when, you know, when people are giving you feedback, because unlike April, I got a ton of feedback all the time from every different source. Um, I'm not saying I didn't get feedback at different phases. I'm saying at that particular (laughs) phase. Yeah, well, um, and I think for me, it's always trying to figure out the motive for the reason why people give you feedback, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how you decide if that feedback is going to be valid or not. And sometimes like that person who gave you that feedback had no like bearing on whether or not you failed or succeeded to solve the, mm-hmm. the opportunity to give you a piece of wisdom. Yep. And that you probably should have taken it, right? Yep. Based on that fact, because it doesn't, they weren't trying to say, oh, if she um, doesn't do this and she's going to fail, she's going to look bad. And I'm going to look better. Yeah. Right. Now, you could also get yourself into like a big quagmire of then I'm not going to listen to anybody's feedback because I think everybody's out for me. Yeah. And that's not the case nope. either. But you do need to be choiceful in what feedback you're going to accept. And usually, you know, and uh, you know, when you hear it, you kind of know and you don't necessarily want to admit it to yourself, but yep. you, you kind of already know that that's the case. And that's the feedback you really want to embrace. But I think it's really important not to be overwhelmed by it and try to do too many things and too many times. Pick a couple, really act accordingly in order to try to put a couple into practice, see how those go, refine them, keep a couple more coming because it's always going to be a continuous cycle of learning and refining and growing and um, cultivating your personal brand. So it you you have to continue to be in that mindset. And if you're always in that mindset, it doesn't become like a big like, oh, what do I do with my, you know, this feedback mm-hmm. or I got feedback and it makes me feel bad about myself and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, no, I think it's a good point. You yeah. can't get all the feedback from everyone in the world and then try to change all the things at the same time. And I'm making like a grandiose statement, yeah. right? But Yes, be intentional. People try. Yes, exactly. All right, number four, be true to yourself, Anne. Yeah, and I'm going to also add on to that, be true to your personal brand, uh, because that's really the core of what we're talking about. And you've heard us mention it a lot of times, that at the core of everything that you want to bring to work or your desire to bring something to work is something within your personal brand, within your personal brand characteristics that you're not feeling like you're able to exercise in a way that's either giving you fulfillment or what we hear a lot is like, I could be doing so much more if Mm -hmm. they would just let me quote unquote do this. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are really common signals that there's something in the way that you're behaving or acting or the place that you're at that is not conducive to being able to exercise your personal brand. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes, like you, the excellent example you gave, April, it's 
it's you, like we said, and sometimes it is a situation. So my personal example, and I've, I've told this before, is in one of my in my last several years at P&G, I made my own role for myself mm-hmm. because I didn't feel like I was getting to showcase what I was actually really good at. And what I was really good at was understanding how to take I end up calling brand love, but how to like really form those emotional connections with consumers outside that product benefit. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be able to make that a practice. I wanted that to be a core of what we did as a communications organization and within Fabricare. And I was given that opportunity to do that. A couple years later, the company kind of shifts and they said, you need to come back to the machine. I'm like, uh, uh. (laughs) <laughs> no way. There's no way you're going to get me to come back into the machine where my job is going to be safety and sustainability. Not that those things aren't important, but not something that I felt was a passion point for me that I was going to be able to bring my full self into. I mean, I, Or I think the other part of that was um, ingredient transparency. <laughs> not something that I was going to feel all excited <laughs> about being able to go in every day and really put in all my passions. I'm like, I can't do that. And I looked everywhere in the company and I didn't find uh, an outlet that I was going to be able to feel like I did in that role. And so that's where I decided to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like you said, like that doesn't mean that you have to leave every job that you kind of come into contact with. Sometimes it's just about finding that right place. And I, as I explained, I did that for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I found a new place that gave me new challenges that I felt really invigorated by that I felt like I could bring myself to work. But some of it is about really just recognizing the writing on the wall, so to speak. It's also recognizing that you can't necessarily change everything, like I said before, as much as you might want it to be different. Sometimes it's just not different. And those are sometimes the hardest decisions we make. But there are some critical things here that are really big no-nos. Um, and it's it, it bearing um, to mentioning here is that you need to really watch in the way that you show up, especially in these situations, because it can become very controversial very quickly, right? So you have to be careful that you are not becoming the aggressor mm-hmm. in a lot of these situations, um, that you're not bad-mathing the company in these situations um, when you're starting to feel this tension and, the, and this culture shift. But also, just in general, be careful about how you want your reputation to be cultivated. So be careful about how much information you're sharing about your personal self. Mm-hmm. It's okay to share when things are going wrong. Sometimes, though, it makes everybody feel very uncomfortable not knowing what to do if you're oversharing details. If you go to the company events and you happen to be a big partier, but everybody's going to have like a beer or two, don't be the one who's doing shots at the bar. <laughs> um, I mean, don't don't be gossiping if the pe- that people are very professional in your area. And actually, you shouldn't be gossiping at all because the person you're gossiping to today could be the person who throws you underneath the bus tomorrow. So just be careful with the way that you are bringing yourself to to work in those capacities as well. Yes. And I I think, too, you know, Anne, you made the point about not leaving every single job the minute that it isn't what you're looking for. And I alluded before to finding the things that were just like, I can't ever put up with this again, like the owned mm-hmm. by a different corporation, right? So but you learned something in the process. Learned something, absolutely, mm-hmm. in the process. And also, it took a cu- couple of companies for me to get there and realize that that was actually the problem. And I will use the example here of the very first job I had out of graduate school, so after design school and co-ops and all of that kind of stuff. And I was brand new to working on the business side of agencies. And so... I was hired to be more internal marketing, and I wasn't super thrilled about that because I didn't really think that was my path, but I really wanted to work at the company, and it actually ended up being a fantastic jumping off point because I learned and saw so many more things than I would have if I had just gone a traditional account management role or something of of that sort. And then I realized, you know, how much I loved strategy. And so we started to build a strategy department. And in the beginning, I probably didn't know even what that word meant, but Mm -hmm. I was very drawn to the actual thinking that went behind the work and having a design background set me up really well for that. And so my second tour, if you will, in the company was in the same company in a different role. And then sadly, one of the things that we got rid of when times got tough is 
the most expensive, honestly, director level, which was all the strategy directors. And the department kind of fell back to being more creatively led instead of things like business strategy Mm. and research and consumer insights and that sort of thing. And so they asked me, even though all of my bosses had been let go, if I was willing to move into more of a direct account management role. And because I had taken those other two tours, I was a really good person to put into that role to help more that into a more strategic role overall for the organization. Now, after about another year of that, I realized that, to your point, Anne, that just really wasn't where my passion Mm -hmm. was. And so at that point, it became time for me to leave the organization. But those three different roles within that one organization allowed me to start to see, one, more broadly what opportunities there were outside of design in the business space. But then, two, when I went to the next organization, which turned out to just be a bad fit for me overall, I was able to more quickly identify that and exit in a more timely manner because that was the right decision, not because I was being impetuous and jumping ship. And so I think that Again, back to the point of you're being true to yourself or true to your personal brand, you're constantly looking for, and I'm always a fan of saying, the next opportunity, the next learning, the next thing to try on. It doesn't have to be linear, meaning from you know, assistant account executive to account executive to senior to mm-hmm. VP and all of that kind of stuff, um, but that you need to be exploring, and that is the ownership that we're talking about here of, yes, being fair to yourself and your beliefs, but also giving yourself a fair chance to learn what you need to learn. Yeah, because it's going to be uncomfortable to begin with. Exactly. And I, I think a lot of times as soon as we start feeling uncomfortable, we want to run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Instead of just sitting in it, recognizing the fact we're uncomfortable, even when I knew the situations were not going to turn out well for me, mm-hmm. my my first instinct was to um, self-persevere first, but then also to see, okay, what am I going to learn from this mm-hmm. that I can take to the next wherever I'm going Mm -hmm. so that I can maximize everything that I can here. And sometimes it's not exactly what it looks like. So sometimes in being true to yourself, being true to your personal brand, you have to think about what's going to be best for you in a situation Mm -hmm. and not necessarily what's best for everything else that's happening outside your situation. So that's a really big nuance because a lot of us are very much givers Mm -hmm. um, and we want to be the best at this and we're going to give our all on this. And But if you do all that, then you're not spending the time you need in order to cultivate what you need in mm-hmm. order to be the best you that you can be. So. Yeah, exactly. All right. So just to recap, deciding how much of yourself you should bring to work. Number one, assess your situation. Take a step back. Look at how you're doing today. Be honest. Number two, know the culture and act in accordance. You're working for someone else or someone else's company and culture and you have to respect that. Number three, request feedback and use it, but only if you're ready to hear it and put it into action. And number four, be true to yourself or be true to your personal brand. We spend a lot of time at work. We have to find places where we fit and where we feel like we're able to be the best version of ourselves. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right, so our next segment is in the trenches, where you all know we give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad applications so that any of you listening can digest what we're saying and put it into action immediately. Number one, I love this one. Is it okay to share more of myself with work friends versus in my overall role in the company? My favorite answer is, it depends. And of course, One of the best indicators of whether a work environment fits for you is if you're easily able to make friends with the people you're working with. Like I just said in the last point, we spend a lot of time at our jobs. And even though now we're maybe more remote than we were before, none of us lost our need for human interaction with people that we just like being around. And some people would say, honestly, we need it now more than ever and to be doing it more consciously than ever before because of COVID. But 
the issue becomes when you're choosing to blur the lines of work friend and tell all. So, for example, what you mm-hmm. might tell your very best friend outside of work. And, you know, some of my best friends, I'll be totally honest, have come from work environments. I mean, I can pick a handful of people or at least one or two from every single company I've ever worked at that have become part of my very core inner circle. But some of that also happens after you leave the job. Yeah. And so the point we want to make here is, number one, think about yourself first, right? We've talked about you are going to own how you're showing up at work and you need to own it more than anyone else and being authentic to yourself. But also you do have to keep yourself a little bit in check with your work friends. And just the title work friends Mm -hmm. indicates that it's different than personal friends, right? So when you think about this, I mean, like Anne made the reference before of happy hours, right? And happy hours are huge in the agency world as well. We loved our happy hours. But especially when I was younger in my career, I knew that I needed to exit after two drinks-ish. And, okay, maybe I had a third if it was over a good period of time, whatever. (laughs) But you can observe the room around you and see things starting to shift. And it's a good point to be like, okay, people are going to start oversharing. Things are going to head in a different direction. My mouth gets a little looser when I've had a few (laughs) drinks. I get a little more direct than I already am. All of those types of things. And so you really have to think about that. And then even if it's outside of technically a work happy hour, you know, you create your groups of friends within work. And that's also great. But you have to be careful about that, too. I mean, I remember working on a team and we had a terrible boss at the time. And so we would go out and have drinks to commiserate. But I always knew, like Ann said, you always have the sense, right, that if this one person on the team showed up, I was very careful about what I said. And it turned out that that was right because she was actually gunning to take his job. And so she was trying to build allies. And as part of that was building dirt around what was discussed during those happy hours. And so that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about here. And again, not that you can't have great work friends. Um, There were a lot of people that I worked with multiple times in my career that are still great friends today. It's just that you have to remember you're in a professional environment. And while even sometimes things are said or said over drinks or whatever, and even if the other person doesn't mean to share it, it still can get out there. And so it's just one of those things where it's fine to have them, but remember, work friends, different than personal friends. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Don't underestimate the people's ability to share information if they think it's going to get them ahead. Yeah, It happens all the time. Right. And so you need to be careful. I I use the uh, my New York Times uh, rule here when I talk about communications and you set message tracks and I'm media training people. And I say, don't say anything you don't want to show up on the in the cover of the Mm -hmm. New York Times. Do not tell any of your work friends anything that you don't want to show up (laughs) in a very public way within your company. Um, So it's just a rule of thumb. I I agree that some of my close friends have. Uh, that I bet at work have continued to be close friends, but outside of that work environment where it can't quote unquote hurt me. Yeah. You know, so yep. we don't want you to be paranoid, but you do need to be cautious um, because it does happen and it happens a lot. Yep. Number two, I may have gone a little too far in sharing during an all team meeting. What now, Anne? Yeah, or maybe you did have that third drink or happy hour or, you know, somebody, you know, pushed your buttons in a meeting and you kind of lashed out. I mean, I mean, this this stuff happens. So, I mean, if you feel like it's extremely detrimental um, to your career or it's been positioned as that, then you probably need to go take the right steps with HR and your mm-hmm. boss and all the, the right folks in order to address that. Um, because, yes, that that can happen. It's very unfortunate, but it can happen. If it's just something that you're like, I can't believe I said that and all these people, you know, with all these people or I can't believe, you know, that that happened, you know, have a little bit of grace for yourself. Um, We're all human. We've all been there. We've all done that. But take ownership for it, too. Uh, One of the things we we tell all of our our coaching clients um, when those things happen is go to the people directly, especially if it's in a context of a conversation that you had that was focused on somebody, Mm -hmm. and apologize. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, say, hey, um, I 
did not act appropriately. That's not how I I wanted to act. Um, I you know I have stuff going on. I mean, it's not an excuse, but please like accept my apology. And that will go a huge way. I mean, just it just has a tremendous amount of power to kind of take the energy of that down. It saves people from having to talk behind your back. It saves like people creating all these stories around it. Hey, did you hear what Ann did at the meeting? Oh, my God. You know, Mm -hmm. so, you know, take some of that energy out of it. And that really, really helps. But then also, you know, manage it better next time. Um, and make a commitment that you're going to manage it better next time and actually do that. Do that. Then. Yeah. Uh, and and then that will also have a impact on people that like, oh, she got it. She heard it. She's adjusting and then she's behaving differently because the really the only thing that's going to get people to believe is time and consistency in your behavior. You kind of have to undo it. You can say whatever you want to say, but it's really going to be through the behavior and acting differently that people are going to start trusting you again, regardless of, of what had happened. Yeah, I think that's all really good and really strong points. And I think the big thing here is to immediately take that onus, right? So we've been saying take responsibility, you know, recognize the things that are you and inherently you and, and work with that. I mean, that's really all that you have. And so you can't manage the reactions of the organization. You can't manage how people are going to talk about it after. All you can do is take the steps that you're going to feel good about no matter what the outcome of the situation ends up being. And then, like Ann said, learning from it and doing better the next time. I think, unfortunately, when these situations happen, whether the person leaves the organization or not, they tend to dwell on it for too long. And that is what I think leads to more damage a lot of times than even whatever happened in the situation, because then it starts bleeding into your reputation instead of just being uh, like, can't believe that happened. Yeah. And and I remember really distinctly someone that I loved dearly, but that just was like a total hothead. And we tried so hard with him over the years to manage that, stop that behavior, you know, and, and honestly, I don't, he didn't really want that to be his default, but I think when he got cornered, that's the way that he Mm -hmm. reacted. And then that became his downfall because he couldn't effectively manage people because they never knew what version of him they were going to get that day. He was really inconsistent in the way that he would show up in meetings, even with the clients, and the level that his frustration could get to and how quickly that would happen. And it was unfortunate because he was an amazing designer, Mm -hmm. but it really limited his career in the long term. And then on top of it, it started to feel like he was blaming everybody else for the situation. And then eventually, you know, you let that person go. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, all of those types of things. But it was like he let it slip one time and then couldn't recover from it. Yeah. And I think that is the really worrisome thing is, like I said, even if it's so detrimental or like you said, Anne, that you have to be let go, you have to fix it immediately. Yeah. All right. Give a personal example about growing within your ability to show up in the right way at work. And I actually have a couple of things here. So my first, I know that's shocking, but my first one is (laughs) um, this podcast. So I would Mm -hmm. say that I, and I've talked about this before, but I want to talk about it through this lens because I feel like it's really important. I had lost a little bit of my, and I hate this word, but I'm using it anyway, my mojo when it came to the work. And it was for a variety of reasons. But one of the things I was able to identify is that I had taken kind of a hard turn when I left the last agency because I was responsible for managing, mentoring, and teaching so many people that I felt like it was just too much and it was impacting my personal life. And I was like, you know what? I have my own kid now. I need to like actually be a mom to that kid. But because I took such a hard stance on like, no, not anymore. I'm not signing myself up for that. On the other side, I ended up 
feeling not really fulfilled and I couldn't put my finger exactly on it. And it was a few things, right? Anne and I partnered together. I started doing some different types of work, but that was always something niggling in the back of my brain. And so we started this podcast, which was a really great answer to it. But the thing that happened to me right after that was trying to figure out the balance of how much to share on the show. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, people say go back and listen to your first episodes or whatever. And I have to say I was a whole lot more buttoned up, (laughs) but also less fun. And actually, I think less representative of who I actually am and the way that I actually work, because I do integrate a lot more personal stuff into the show now that makes contextual good sense about the way that I view things and why I teach certain ways and why I talk about things a certain way and all of that. And so I'm really proud of where I've gotten to, but I would also still say that there are some hard lines that I will not cross. Like Mm -hmm. I will never share information that someone else has shared confidentially with me in a way that they know who they are. Even if I can mask it and, you know, I don't ever want a person to feel, even if I don't say their name or the specific situation, that I'm sharing something that they shared with me in confidence. And I'm also still pretty protective of my family and friends. You know, I make a couple quips here and there, and that's all in good fun, and that's kind of the way my family is among an audience. I know, my poor brother Bart in general. All the time. Probably why he refuses to listen. Yeah, exactly. But I would never do it in a way to my family or or any really close personal friends where I feel like I'm crossing any sort of line. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like personally, I will say I've gotten to a really good space and place with the podcast and feel good about how I show up in this space. Um, On the other side, I think a growth moment for me was, you know, we talked about the work friends one, and this was kind of a reflection on that question, is getting too involved with the in-click at work and -hmm. losing perspective beyond that. And so I was at a pretty critical point in my career at the agency I was at where I was starting to be recognized as an up-and-coming leader, not just young star, someone who could step into broader roles, be elevated, become more of a senior person. But I think that in the organization I was in at that time, I wasn't doing myself a lot of good service because I was spending too much time in the current peer group instead of investing the time strategically to either get to know more people more broadly or step outside of that clique or, you know, go to lunch with a senior executive or really work on my career. I got a little bit comfortable and a little bit lazy in that moment. And so when I went on to the next organization, it was kind of a complete 180 because I literally didn't know anyone and the culture was very different. But I was very conscientious of that and of focusing on my career development and being more serious and professional about it and not just kind of resting on the fact that I was part of the group and I was in Mm -hmm. and I was good and I could kind of phone it in. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mine um, was my transition to... Fabricare when I was in a um, a corporate group and then I transitioned into Fabricare and it was at a point in time in my life where my divorce was being finalized and I was definitely going through a transition from going to this corporate group to a brand group and I was just kind of like raw all over the place with regards to um, you know how I was feeling and how I was acting and in in all of that um now that all being said it also happened to be a uh, it was in February, so we were doing our Super Bowl activations, mm-hmm. and that was my expertise. That was one of the reasons why I was going over to Fabric Care is because I really understood how to activate within Super Bowl, and this was the first one that they were doing. And I didn't know anybody, really, um, but I came in hot. Um, <laughs> one, because I was raw, but two, because I was like, what the hell are these people doing? There's no a really good PR communications plan developed and they're trying to do all this like, you know, the stuff over here on the advertising side, but it's not connecting with everything. So I basically came in really, really super hot, um, telling everybody what they were doing wrong, telling everybody how they should be doing it. And it was not well received at all. Now, I was, felt like I was bringing myself to work. That was kind of how I was feeling at the time. So I decided <laughs> I was the expert and this is kind of how I wanted to share what I thought was going to be the right thing to go do. 
But I had then very quickly the GM, the marketing director, and my former boss all sit down and they told me, if you don't change, you're not going to last here. Mm. Right. So they said our culture is one of collaborative, really like we don't just put stuff out there and say we can't do it. We always talk about what we could do or what we should do or give our rationale. Uh, We always talk about uh, trying to forward the work, not try to stop the work. You're not doing any of this stuff. Nobody likes you. I mean, it was worse than being a lawyer in the situation. Like they think they like the lawyer. The lawyer was saying yes more than I was. Um, (laughs) So I, that was a really big shock because, like, it's really hard when you hear, like, well, one, people don't like you, um, and two, that what you thought was your expertise that people should appreciate, they weren't appreciating like you were hoping that they would, and that if you didn't change, you weren't going to last. I'm mm-hmm. like, that was a really awkward place for me to be in. Thank God they told me. Um, and, you know, I could have just taken that and been like, you know what, well... I'm bringing myself to work. If if that's they don't like it, then they don't like it. But I was like, I really want to be here. I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't want to be in a position that you know, I'm causing all this dysfunctionality within my team. So I had to quickly learn to adapt my style. Um, I had to quickly adapt my behaviors and actions. I was still direct in the way that I was explaining why they should do something, why they shouldn't do something. But my approach changed to providing options, providing risk associated to the options, uh, being able to really bring people together in order to make the decision together. So even if they decided to do something that I was in agreement with, I'd be like, okay, well, I shared with you, like, here, mm-hmm. you know, what I think is going to happen. And here's how I'd rather do it so you can still get what you want. But, you know, ultimately, it's your guys' decision. It's your guys' call. Because a lot of times, too, you know, when we lose control of the situation or people don't take our advice or make the decision that we would have made, all of a sudden we feel very much like, you know, kind of, brought down in a mm-hmm. level with regards to um, the the credibility that we have and, yep. and the quality for which people feel like we're providing or inputting or the value we're adding, right? And so that was really hard, especially being new to the organization. It took me a really long time to adjust <laughs> to the point where people could start believing me again. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, like I said, they didn't know me. I actually made a mistake too of um, sending out an email on my BlackBerry when we had Blackberries, and I copied more people than I should have. So that didn't help me at all either. Um, so all of that together, yeah, it was a big hole to climb out of. I'm proud to say I did, um, and I had to do it like, at least make a big immediate jump. Like mm-hmm. I had to like drastically change things from like that moment on. And within a couple months, everybody's like, okay, yeah, we're seeing the changes. Everything's starting to kind of you know, get to that point um, where people are trusting you. They want you to be part of their teams. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely something I had to continue to deal with as those tapes were being played later and later and later. Because every time I did, I did something that was kind of reminiscent of that, mm-hmm. they'd be like, oh, yeah, remember the time when she did that? Because... Everybody has very long memories at P&G. It's a promote from within company. You can't go really anywhere that, you know, they don't know somebody who knows somebody who knows you. Um, and I've been there for a very long time. So my my whole reason for giving this story is you have to be mindful that what you do, the how you behave has impact on the way you're perceived. Mm-hmm. And people's perception are the reality. It doesn't matter if you intended for it or not. It didn't matter if I, I meant it. It didn't matter I was going through a divorce. I mean, yeah, people felt sorry for me, but it's like, well, that's fine. But except for the fact that we still need to deliver this, mm-hmm. you know, so you have to be very mindful about the fact that you have a job to do. Uh, you need other people in order to achieve your your goals, your dreams, and the, the project at hand. And you have to acknowledge that. Yeah. No, I think it's I think it's so true. And it's, again, the point of this question is, well, number one, you're always growing or you should be so you don't yeah. stagnate. But that I mean, I think your point is well taken of this was a situation where if you didn't fix it tomorrow, that was that. Mm-hmm. All right. Number four in the trenches. If you decide you cannot work within the culture of your organization, how do you exit gracefully? And we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier in one of the points, Um, but I will give my perspective, and I know Anne has some on this one, too. The first thing I will say is own it. It it is going to be okay. Seriously, the organization goes on. You move on. The company isn't going to fall apart if you decide to leave. You'll probably find a better fit, or hopefully if you put all of this that we've talked about today into practice, you will. Um, On your way out, 
Do not bash the company. Do not place blame at their feet. And definitely don't post about it on social. And de- yeah, definitely don't don't post about it on social. Even if you think you're doing it incognito on some of those sites that it, you know exist out there, be very careful. Um, if you have constructive feedback to give, that can be okay. But again, to all the points we've made during this episode, remember to think about the person that you're sharing it with, and whether one the person will use it appropriately and not against you, um, but two, that they'll actually use it. Because if it, if you don't believe it's going to go anywhere and you're already a little bit taking a risk of putting any sort of critical feedback out there, especially when you've decided to exit the job, it can just be a really tenuous place to be. So just be careful about that. And then finally, the last thing I will say is exit before anything goes wrong. If you mm-hmm. don't hem and haul. If it's the way you feel in your gut and you've done all the things we talked about today and you really worked hard at it and you've made the decision, then do it. Because like Ann said, you don't want to get in a position where all of a sudden you're disgruntled or you're saying things you shouldn't be saying or, you know, saying things you can't come back from. This is how to burn bridges. Ann just said memories are long in certain companies. Memories are long in lots of industries. It's a small world. Just be careful and This is really, again, where it's your responsibility to manage yourself in the work situation and do the right thing for you, but also preserve your legacy in that company, if you will, and not just diminish things that you've done right because it's time to go. Yeah, I would agree with all those. Um, I'll emphasize don't burn the bridges unless unless the bridges need to be burned. Yes. In fair. order to preserve your reputation, your credibility. I mean, some things just go really bad, especially if you're in the startup world. Yep. Um, things can go really bad if you need to burn those bridges and, and, and burn the ties and you, you need to do that. But I wouldn't make that a practice because, as you said, especially if you're going to go bad mouth people – um, and especially with social, I mean, it's a small world. A lot of employers look at social accounts mm-hmm. just to see what you what you do and what you post. If you're bashing your previous company, it'd be like, geez, one little thing goes bad here and they're going to be bashing us on social. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's somebody I want in my organization. So be very, very mindful of that. And when people are asking you as you're either transitioning or moving out or leaving the company or whatever that looks like, keep your message track very simple and neutral. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. it, it goes to what you're saying about not bashing, but even just be like, you know, it's just time for me to move on. Mm-hmm. And that's all. It, you don't need to elaborate. You don't need to explain. People might want you to explain. You don't owe them an explanation. Um, you don't owe anybody else any justification. Even if they ask a gazillion questions, you're like, it's just time for me to move on. Nothing's wrong. Just just time for me to move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't benefit you at all to create any kind of controversy or any kind of drama within the organization. Yep. Very, very good point. All right. Our fifth and final in the trenches question. I feel like cultural differences make it hard for me to bring myself to work. What should I do? We have a lot of experience in this recently. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And I think and when I talk about cultural differences here, we're talking about more like more heritage yes. based differences. And um, we hear this a lot. And, you know, that is a really, really tough position to be in when your culture or your heritage shapes so much about who you are as a person and you feel like you can't be that in your work environment. Right. And what we say is that you should try to bring that into your work environment. It's a very important part of who you are. It's probably very inherently rooted in your personal brand characteristics. And it's important for people to see that to some respect because they then figure out how to understand it a little bit more. A lot of people fear things that they don't understand. Once they Mm -hmm. understand it, then that breeds empathy. And we all need a little bit of empathy, like April has said earlier. Now, it's very important, though, to balance this with what's appropriate in the workplace. So I had a manager who was very Italian. She was from Italy, and she dressed and talked the part. She wore very short skirts, way too short for for P&G in the United States, and her manner was a bit pretentious and overbearing. It was very much her. If she was in Italy, it probably would have been fine. She felt like she was being her own self. Now, that being said, the problem was she made everybody else very uncomfortable, mm. right? So you could say, well, that's everybody else's problem. And it is. But remember what I just said. People's perceptions are the reality. So what was happening was she was having trouble earning respect. 
and the trust of her team because they were just like so blown away by what they were seeing. They just couldn't counteract it in their mind. They're like, you, you can't wear short skirts that short to work. I mean, like, what are you, like, what are you doing? I mean, it was just like kind of blowing their minds to the point that they couldn't even process it. Now, on the other side of that, I had a um, a brand manager friend um, in fabric care, and she was very proud of her African heritage. She used to come to work in these beautiful, like, just African outfits, and it was amazing because she created conversation because people come up to be like, oh, my gosh, that that's so cool. Like, what is that from? What inspired that? And it gave her a chance and opportunity to mm-hmm. tell her story. But the Garments were very appropriate for the workplace. So you kind of have to really play it in a way that makes sense and is going to be receptive to the people that are there because your whole goal is to make them a little bit more empathetic or help them understand a little bit more. You're not going to do that very well if you're totally, like I was mentioning before, coming in hot or just like totally like blowing everybody's senses out of the water. You kind of have to work them in. But, you know, at the end of the day, the choice is really yours, but you need to really consider the impact you're going to have. But then you can't blame others Mm -hmm. for their the way that they react. Remember that you made that choice Mm -hmm. and then you have to deal with the way that those choices cascade upon themselves. Yep, it's back to the responsibility again. Right. Right. If you want to share that part of who you are, that's great. But again, you have to think about it in the context of a professional environment instead of bringing your whole self to work, which is where we started this conversation and decided it needs to be more about how do you decide how much of yourself to bring to work because there are things that are appropriate in a professional environment and things that are not. Right. All right. And our third and final segment is generally a real world example of a brand who's doing things well or not so well. But we are finding, as we've said in most recent episodes, this isn't working as well because we've shifted our format a bit to include more marketing leadership topics. And so a specific brand doesn't always work for that. So we've expanded this and we're trying this out and we're you know really glad to have feedback if you have it. But we're thinking through a business or person we've experienced recently that's using or not using their marketing smarts. We're calling this marketing smarts moments. It may or may not pertain to the topic at hand. This example does. I will say that I'm I feel like I'm going to chuckle already because it's way out of left field (laughs) for me to be talking about this. But anyway, I won't preempt it too much. So my example, very timely, right? Thanksgiving was recent and there's lots of sports, specifically football, that people like me feel like we're forced to watch. I'm not the biggest sports fan out there. But again, trying to so think about <laughs> think about it's not that I don't like football. I just don't like days long games of football, right? Nothing I have, better. have a couple teams. Anyway, not the point of this. So I've been watching slash listening to a lot of football lately. And it just brought to life one of the things that drives me crazy. And it's actually, it pertains very well to the topic of how much of yourself to bring to work or deciding how much of yourself to bring to work. And it is sports announcers. I feel a little bit about sports announcers like I feel about country music. Things might be going along just fine. You know, I don't love it, but I'm listening, listening, listening. And all of a sudden, a statement will be made, and I just completely lose my mind. And the problem, I think, in the space of announcers is that they're paid to talk, right? We were actually talking about this in the studio the other day, yesterday, actually. And Drew was like, well, they're paid. That's their job, right? They're supposed to just keep talking. And that's totally true. But the thing about it is that they say things that are so off the wall that it totally distracts from what their actual job is supposed to be, which is telling the people listening what's happening in the football game and or educating them on things like the stats of the players or the background information or whatever. But all of a sudden, this random comment will be made or someone will try to throw out a big word that actually doesn't make sense or a comment will come out and then everyone will crack up laughing and then the game will go by and you'll be like, okay, but what's actually happening on the field? And I just can't stand it. I just don't understand it. And this is also on the heels. We talked about Jim Nance in a a recent podcast that we heard him on and the fact that actually he takes his job very seriously and he brings his joy for the work and his just his absolute love of the fact that this is his role, that he goes above and beyond 
with every single game of looking for tidbits about players that people wouldn't normally know or really studying the the way that the team works together before or looking at the recency of what's been out there in the news around them, all of these types of things, which has given me an appreciation for how you should be doing the role, which is probably why I'm so angry about it on the other side or noticing it so much more. But I mean, I'm just, I'm telling you, I... I I got my wins this weekend. The Bengals won. Michigan won. Super happy weekend from that perspective. But those announcers, man, they could learn a lot from this episode. I'm not exactly sure what to say because (laughs) I've grown up watching football. I I will give you the nod that there are good ones and there are bad ones. Mm -hmm. And and the ones that are the most polarizing are the the ones that people tend to have, like, the most – uh, reactions to, mm-hmm. but you know Jim Nance and you know Tony Romo, who is his analyst, his his color guy, is the one that is actually very polarizing yeah, for people. It's fair. I, I love Tony. Mm-hmm. I loved him when he played football. My mom and dad can't stand Tony, <laughs> <laughs> and so you know it's you know you, you kind of take them or leave them, but they're kind of like you know actors in that way or comedians in that way, and you know, know. that's why they have two of them. You know, that's why they have the play-by-play guy and, and you know, the analyst and the color guy. But, yeah. uh, well, You're not there's no school this. for that. So <laughs> I... Oh, that's the answer? There's no school there's for no that? There's no school for that. It's, so it's, if you play, you should just be allowed to be an announcer? Is that the, the whole thing? Um, well, I, I reserve judgment on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is our final segment. Just to recap, deciding how much of yourself you should bring to work. Number one, assess your situation. Take a step back and look at how you're doing today. Be honest. Number two, note the culture and act in accordance. You're working for someone else or within another business's culture and you have to respect that. Number three, request feedback and use it but only if you're ready to hear it and put it into action right away. And number four, be true to yourself. We spend a whole lot of time at work. We have to find places where we fit and where we feel like we are being true to who we are. And with that, we will say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.